Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour. Have you ever wondered, you know, how this uh, deep, ancient and profound wisdom of yoga can really help us live uh, balanced, spiritually awake lives in our modern world with all the time pressures that we have and um, the pull of circumstances? I think today is going to be a wonderful conversation about that. And I'm so happy to be welcoming to the Yoga Hour, Yogi Cameron, who is host of the podcast, Inspire Living. Um, He graciously hosted me on his podcast in May of this year, 2019. So um, take a look at that. And um, Yogi Cameron has a fascinating life story, like we all do. He was a former high-end model who in the midst of very successful career began to tune into a soul calling, which was different than how um, his external life um, was proceeding. So I hope he'll tell us a little bit about that. But today he's a yogi devoted to offering guidance and practical recommendations based on the ancient systems of yoga and Ayurveda that address self-care and having a balance of body, mind, and spirit. You can find out more about Yogi Cameron and his Inspire Living program at yogicameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N.com, and on Facebook with at Yogi Cameron. Um, And today's conversation is inspired by his book, The Yogi's Code, Seven Universal Laws of Infinite Success. Welcome, Yogi Cameron. I'm so delighted that you're here today, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Mm, Thank you for having me. Yeah, me too. Always good to talk to you and uh, get inspired and learn from you as well. Thank you. And so before we begin our conversation Let's just have a moment of um, contemplation, just a quiet moment to begin. I want to invite you wherever you are to take this moment out of your busy day or evening to just be present here and now. Just start by noticing your breath, feeling your body where you are in time and space. And with your breath, 
especially now with your inhalation, beginning to pull your attention within, with the intention of becoming fully aware, breathing in, diving within, breathing out, just relaxing, letting go, observing the breath, not trying to change it, but simply using it as a tool to come into this present moment. Because the present moment is always our yoga moment. Now is the moment for yoga. So with yoga practice, we begin in every moment, simply being aware of the truth of our being. And as we center ourselves in this moment, I want to share with you a thought to contemplate, a question. What is it to be willing to let God lead? What is it to be willing to let spirit or the higher self lead? Think of it as being completely open to divine support, to welcome divine guidance. We cultivate the willingness to venture beyond the limits of what is comfortable and familiar and let ourselves be guided by truth. So in this moment, let us open our hearts and our minds to the infinite and be open to that deeper experience of life where we can be guided by truth and bring that peace that is within us into the body, into the mind, and into all that we do. That was a quote from my book of inspirations, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Um, Yogi Cameron, welcome to the Yoga Hour. And I'd like to begin our conversation about being a yogi in the modern world, today's world, um, by um, asking you to tell us a little bit about your own spiritual journey. You know, how did you come to the yoga path? I was living in uh, Paris. I uh, left uh, college and somebody stopped me in the street and asked me if I wanted to be a model. And uh, I thought it was a good idea at the time, so and I didn't know much about it. And I went on this journey for about 12 years. And uh, the first time I tried yoga was in Paris. I went to the Shivananda Center. And um, at that time, there were no sort of glitzy, high-end yoga places. It was all very down and dirty, um, very raw spaces that you just came in and you just practice yoga. Um, you did some asanas, but mainly breathing practice, meditation. Uh, a lot of emphasis was put on spiritual practice and reading. And and you really had these uh, very devoted people in these mm -hmm. studios. Um, it was kind of new to them as well. So that was my very first time uh, Shivananda um, Center in Paris. That was my 
first introduction and then I was going to the gym as well and I was working out but yoga sort of touched me or touched my heart in a certain way and uh, as you know I we, we kind of think from past life we, we we definitely have some connection to something that we're always drawn to mm. um, otherwise why do we feel so strongly about this you know yeah when, yeah and it seems there's also that component of divine grace you know that brings us to the path and um i do i don't want to interrupt your your story but i i do want to say that um there's a beautiful section in the introduction to your book the the yogi code where you talk about the blessing the opportunity that you had meeting nelson mandela and just just looking in his eyes, like not a conversation, but some kind of something was sparked mm-hmm. in you about you, you. It was seems like it was a moment of like meeting truth or something about your life. So um, that really struck me. Mm. Well, it's easy to you know you meet a lot of people on your journey. When I was in the fashion world, I met many people in many countries, traveling every week. And uh, when I met him, I was sort of at the end of my fashion journey. And, uh, yeah, we didn't say much. It was just looking and saying, oh, wow, you know, his his, uh, soul who spent 27 years in jail came out and um, doesn't seem angry. Uh, (laughs) Seems like he learned a lot. Uh, Maybe he was angry when he was inside, but he came out. And now he wants peace and he wants to help people and he wants everybody to unite. And and because he is an example of somebody who went through something so extreme, I could look at him and say, he has something to say about this. He's not somebody who, in theory, spoke mm-hmm. about it. He was mm-hmm. very much in practice. And it's very easy for us all to speak in theory. But I looked in his eyes and I said, oh, yeah, I can see he's uh, he's he's at peace. Um, I want to learn from, you know, this uh, soul. And if I can't learn from this soul, I want to understand more about his journey. Um, and that's when I came back to New York and I stopped my, uh, go, uh, the fashion world and decided that that journey was uh, coming to an end. And the new inner, inward journey was uh, sort of beginning. <laughs> And it's an interesting time, isn't it? You know, um, those of us who are already on the yoga path um, or, you know, however we would describe our spiritual path, there's that time where you know that the way you've been living is is not the way forward. Um, but you don't actually know what the way forward looks like. <laughs> you just, mm-hmm. you know, you're just taking a step um, you know, nudged by the soul, nudged by the higher self, but you, you really don't know, you know, you don't have the same pattern for, you know, how you've thought about your future unfolding. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it is an interesting moment. And of course, in the Vedic scriptures, we find it's a very common moment, you know, this described in the Upanishads about, you know, the students who, you know, they, they have great success in life, great learning, and then they come to a juncture where, wait a minute, you know, something's missing and I have to go in search of that. So, um, it surely sounds like what you did and can you just kind of bring us up to speed a little bit and tell us about, okay, well, how did that develop into your practice today? You know, what, what is your life like today? Mm. I'll just say from the past, you know, I, I lived a very high life, 
and it was just 12 years of speed and beautiful time. You know, I was 19 to about 31, 32. And it was just a time where I, I would say everybody in the world would want to live that time. Everybody in the world is, uh, who lives a lay life, sort of a Western culture life, would want to live that life. You know, because you meet people and you travel and you just uh, most doors are open to you. And it was just a very, very high play, high, high living on the outer world, let's say. Yeah. Plus, uh, plus the wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. And all the free wardrobe. <laughs> and it was beautiful. It was just a, such a lovely time. And you meet amazing artists and creative people all over the world. So. To give that up, uh, something really nudged me, you know, like you say, and there's nothing you can do about it. If you ignore it, you just will, that beautiful time will turn into a horrible time. That's know? a really good point to make. And I think um, what happens for people at that juncture is that you have to do something to stifle the inner voice mm. and usually that's what leads people uh, down the addictive path mm. they're trying to um you know not have to pay attention to the pull of the soul yeah if you ignore that voice uh, that pull uh, things will turn i mean things get more difficult anyway when you obviously go on the spiritual path uh, because you're challenged in many different ways because you've asked for higher learning. Uh, but it's probably nothing like staying in the same world. If I had stayed in the fashion world and things went sour and it would have been um, sort of, it's an empty world, let's say. The, the spiritual world is such a full world, uh, but uh, torrential rains and mountains to climb and everything all at the same time sometimes. But you still feel full. You mm -hmm. feel like there's a great purpose to all of it. It's it's not empty. And I think when we stay overstay our welcome at a party, let's say that's going so well, and you just stay a little bit too long, it just turns into the worst time of your life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that nudge always, we always have to go with it. So I went with it. And then um, my life kind of turned upside down a little bit because uh, I started to do my practice every day. I went to India. I started to study with the Ayurvedic guru. Uh, in India, they teach you Ayurveda and yoga at the same time because mind and body can't be separated. Medicine has to be a part of it. Healing has to be a part of it. It's not um, Western culture kind of separates it and says, if you've got an ache of pain, go to a doctor. If you've got some mind troubles, go to a psychiatrist. And if you're spiritually whatever, you know, go see your priest or things like that. Um, whereas Indian philosophy, the Vedic philosophy is none of it is separate. So when you learn that, you realize, oh, okay, it's all connected. I'm connected. My mind is connected. Um, yes, on one hand, all of it is an illusion, but it's my reality at the same time. And you start to learn how to live within all of it. Um, so it kind of throws you upside down. Um, I've made some sense of it today. Um, it doesn't take away difficulties. It doesn't take away any of the happiness and joy and all of that. But my life now is getting up early, doing about three hours of practice, pujas, um, and all of that, because we're guided by our guru in India, my wife and I. 
And we also were married in a very small Shankaracharya temple in India. So we have the blessings of the Brahmins who also have given us practices to do like puja. So we have this whole thing going on in the morning in our house, which is beautiful. Um, but it has its challenges as well because we live in the world, um, the Western culture. You have to go to work, you have to do things and and the rest of it. So we've asked for the higher life. We've got it. Um, but it's definitely a ride. It's an up and down ride. <laughs> and it's a... Um... I think you you made such a good point when you know when you pointed to we we do get our challenges, um, but there is a sense of fullness. There is a sense of um, satisfaction, a deeper contentment because we we know um, we're connected to the self, um, which is satisfying in a way that nothing else is. Um, we, I want to just explore um, the principles that you've put forth in your book, The Yogi Code. And um, the top of the list is, um, it, you, you know, you gave seven principles, seven universal principles to help us live a yogic life and the one at the top of the list is routine and mm. you know and you just have been describing you know how important it is that you and your wife you know have a daily routine um and i know uh for my guru that was one of the main things that he stressed and uh demonstrated was just this very steady life routine um, and you explain in your book that one of the reasons why we need that is because it's the way of disciplining the body and the mind. If you're trying to get a quiet mind and you're going mm -hmm. to bed at all different hours, eating at all different hours, you know, the mind will be and body will be in rebellion. But the question I have for you is, you know, life continually interrupts our routine. So, you know, here you are on yoga hour this morning. I don't know if that interrupted your routine, but... I know for me, um, you know, I've been traveling a lot um, this year with a, my new book out. So it's been really a challenge uh, to mm. keep my uh, routine. So tell us about routine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also just came back from India. I was in the ashram for two or three weeks. And then we went uh, a few different temples and did our practice there. Uh, I had to be in Mumbai and I was speaking there for three days at a seminar. So the, the routine will always, yes, get bothered. Um, I think that the main thing for us is to always just be accepting that the, the reason the routine keeps getting disturbed is just to show you how important it is and then to show you to be adaptable. You, yeah, you have to get up a little bit earlier, uh, you might have to do a little less of the routine, whatever it is, but you always do it. So no matter where you are around the world, you don't say, well, that's my routine at home. Mm -hmm. So we don't do puja on the road, but we definitely do, our, you know, we get up and we do our guru japa, we do our, uh, some asana, some breathing, some meditation. You know, we still spend at least an hour and a half or so on the road because we understand that that routine is what grounds us. And if we don't have it, the outer world is pulling us in all directions at all times. So <laughs> if, if I don't get up and have my hot water and lemon and then do some 
you know, different shot karmas and clean the body a little bit and then sit down and ground myself. If I grab my phone, for example, now I've let the outer world in to my inner world. And now I'm at the beck and call of whatever I just read. And now <laughs> I, my mind is gone. So the routine is really there to ground you. And in Ayurveda, we know that the element of grounding is earth. We're kind of plugging into earth and something spiritual straight away. So we go inwards and then we have that to offer the world. Mm. You know, that's why the second principle is practice in the book. Because once you've got your routine and your practice is really the first thing you do in the morning, you're plugging into your divinity instead of your mind. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful way to describe it. And um, I also like your response that, you know, because it's true, yoga is really about learning to be flexible <laughs> on all levels and keep our balance. And as you were talking about, you know, travel and still keeping routine, I thought about um, my husband and I, um, for many, many years, well, since the beginning of when we got married, we we have a routine um, every Friday night where we light candles together and we offer prayers and we renew our vows. Mm. And so it's a very deep practice and it's very important to us. And one time we were traveling to India together and um, we were crossing a timeline where it was uh, it turned into be Friday night on the airplane. So there was no way that we could light candles on the plane and say our prayers and our vows. So so what what we did was we took a piece of paper and we drew two candles on the paper and then we drew the flames and then we, you know, kept coloring in the candles getting lower and lower as we <laughs> as we said our vows on the airplane. So, um, you know, that was for me a really sweet memory about the commitment to a routine that, you know, nurtures and supports our commitment to our, our marriage. Um, and I, I think I'm so glad that you started with this practice of routine in your book, because I, I, I honestly believe it's the most important step. And mm -hmm. for me, um, committing to a daily practice was probably the most important step that I took, you know, from just being a, I'll meditate when I feel like meditating, um, kind of an approach, um, to having a more disciplined life and practice. And I know that it's the step that many, many people struggle with. So, um, how do you support people in making that step, making that commitment to having a routine? You know, everybody has a routine already. It's really, what is your routine? And looking at it, so from an Ayurvedic perspective, for example, I, I look at it and say, how is your routine not benefiting your health? For example, if you're suffering from some kind of ailment. And then we figure out how this routine needs to shift if you want to get better. And then if you want to sustain being better, then we have to work that routine out too. So most people are motivated by getting better. And that's a that's a starting point. If you don't have an ailment and we really getting into the routine of lifestyle, uh, yogic lifestyle, let's say uh, you want to feel happy and joyful in the morning and you're not, then we have to look at your routine and say, 
what are you willing to do? Here's what you can do uh, optimally from A to Z to make it beautiful. But it's a willingness. You know, everybody has a willingness and are distracted by something. So I go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time. Um, and once in a while, it's off. That's totally fine. I have a willingness to do that. And sometimes it's hard getting up in the morning at a certain hour, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, but I have a willingness. So I've already committed to that routine. And we have to really ask people, your listener has to listen and say, what am I willing to do? Because I can only do what I'm willing to do. Uh, because everybody's capability is a lot more than what they actually do. Um, only an athlete or a, you know somebody who does extreme things are pushing themselves to another limit. Most of us are only living to the point that we are willing to, not that we're capable of. So our will is where we um, where we need to put our attention, because if we stress out about what we're not doing then it's counterproductive. We're going to start beating on ourselves and we're not, we should be doing this and we shouldn't, then we kind of get discouraged. So I would say the first thing is, what are you willing to do? And start there and say, you know, um, if I'm willing to get up at this time, 30 minutes earlier, then great, let me do that. If I'm sleeping yeah. too much, for example, or I'm eating too much, whatever I'm doing, where, where am I willing to change? And then we kind of start there to make one step and let that step then um, progress. I think um, that that's what we have to do. And it is, um, you know, in your book, you talk about it being a choice that, and I think that strengthens us too, to really look at the fact that there's so much uh, choice in our life. Sometimes we feel that we're just, you know, tossed around by the waves of um, change and circumstance, but um, we have, there is such power in our choice. Mm -hmm. And um, so certainly routine is uh, just a critical, critical first step for us to examine. And, you know, of course people make the mistake of trying to change everything at once. Mm -hmm. And that's a setup for failure. And so just taking one step at what we can change. Um, we're about to take a break. And when we get back, um, we want to talk about the other six um, principles and uh, practices that you're talking about that can really support us in having a spiritually conscious, balanced uh, life in the world today. Um, you're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest, Yogi Cameron who is a yoga and Ayurveda teacher, author, and host of the podcast, um, Inspire Living. His website is yogicameron.com. And we'll be right back with you. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and I'm 
here today with you having a delightful conversation with Yogi Cameron, author of the book, The Yogi Code, Seven Universal Laws of Infinite Success. And of course, we learned in the first part of the program that um, he, he started out in life very young with um, what looked like the success that many seek in the world, um, but then had to respond um, or chose to respond to a soul calling that was leading him uh, to a different direction. So um, he gives me great hope. I really enjoy talking to him um, because it's fun to talk to someone who has made that turn in their life and is um, witnessing the transformation that is possible. Yogi, in your book, of course, you, you're giving these seven um, universal laws for success. And we spent uh, a bit of time in the first segment talking about routine because it is really the earth um, foundation of stability to being able to live a spiritual life. And the next principle that you talk about is practice, which, of course, is sort of inseparable from routine. Mm. Um, but just tell us a little bit about... Um, practice as a universal um, tool for us? So the book is uh, set out in seven steps because when you have, when you start, it's kind of like uh, digging the hole first for building your house. There, there are steps that you have to go through um, until you get to decorate your house. Let's say decorating your house is uh, something of um, you can or you can't do it. It's fine. But the foundation of your house and the way you build your house has to follow certain steps. And this is the same thing if you want to have that sort of success in happiness. So we've dug the ground a little bit and we've put our routine in place. Now we want to plug in in the morning and have a spiritual practice. Spiritual practice can mean anything to you. So it's, it can be non-religious, it's religious, whatever it, it wants to be. But it means going inward rather than outward. So our attention is not outward. It's going inward to see what does the spirit, soul, uh, intuition, whatever you want to call it, uh, want from me today? Uh, Because it's here in this body to do some work. And I want to ground in that energy. And once you ground in that energy, so for us, it's doing some postures, breathing practices, some mantras, some meditation. It can be prayer for you. Uh, so you spend some time in it. Um, you've got 24 hours a day. Uh, so it requires a little time. It's not a five-minute thing. Uh, it You should be able to, out of 24 hours, give it some time. Uh, but like one, like one twenty-fourth. <laughs> one twenty-fourth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as, as much as you want to get out of it, um, you have to sort of put into it, let's say. So... Uh, The principle of going to work and working, let's say, 30 minutes and coming home, uh, A, you won't get paid. And second (laughs) of all, you won't be very good at what you do because you just only spent 30 minutes on it. So we kind of understand that outwardly that, yeah, I go to work, I do the same thing every day and I become a master at it. And that's why I become a master. Um, And that's why I get paid well. But it's the same thing here. Um, We tend to think and we oversimplify things about saying, you know, just do 10 minutes, 20 minutes here and there, if you can. Um, And I'm saying is, uh, if you don't, uh, you won't get the result. It's just a simple thing. It's not my principle. It's just 
the principle of science. As much as you put into it, you will get out. So it's up to you as a choice how much you put into it. So that's why practice is so important because when you've grounded in routine and then you've done your practice, now you're ready to know something about yourself, which is the third step, self-study. And you can't really start to self-study and know much about yourself if you haven't gone into some principles of spirituality because all, you'll just know yourself on the surface. You know, I like this, I like that, I prefer that. This makes me feel like that, that person did this. And you'll kind of be on this whole surface um, place without delving in deep. So that's why we ground, we do spiritual practice, and now we're ready for some self-study, understanding ourselves and why we do the things we do and how we can change them. Because, yeah. I was just going to say that this self-inquiry or self-study is a foundational practice in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, if you study Patanjali, um, you know, first is self-discipline, which we've been talking about with routine and practice, and then self-study or self-inquiry. And, um, you know, I like to think about that on two levels. One is that there's the deepest level of self-study, which has us inquiring about who are we really. And um, I, I still love the question that you just raised, which is as we begin our day to ask, what does my soul want from me today? Mm. Um, you know, there's many ways to ask that question or, you know, what is my highest intention for the day? Or, But, you know, what does... Or if you're, uh, if if God is your language, you know what does God want from me today? Um, that's a beautiful way to to have this um, doorway into self study to be asking deeper questions mm-hmm. um, as we start our day. And, you know, not like what's on my to do list, <laughs> but what is the deeper calling of this day. Um, But then the other thing I want to say about self-study is that so besides this uh, self-inquiry that has us ask, you know, what is the truth of my being? um, What is my higher purpose, you know, in in the larger frame of things, but also in this very day, what is my higher purpose and how do I live it? Then I think self-study also comes into exploring Um, what we're doing and how it works. You know, I know that you uh, coach many people in how to develop a yogic, Ayurvedic-ly healthy lifestyle. And part of that, you have to have uh, self-study. You have to say, Mm. you know, how is this food affecting me? How is this um, eating pizza at 10 o'clock affecting my meditation at 6 a.m., right? So self-study seems to come into that um, exploring how is our practice working, Right. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be an awareness to pretty much everything we do. Um, This whole notion of, you know, we come home from work and we want to just not be engaged (laughs) or we don't want to be aware. Um, We just want to relax. That's what TV is. That's what TV is for. (laughs) Yeah. So what happens is, oh, oh, we have things, uh, sayings. We're going to take the thinking out of it, and all of these kind of things we we say or the premise is. Um, Yogic philosophy is very much about self uh, awareness because if I'm not aware of myself, then I don't know what I'm uh, inviting in to my whole mandala, my my being. Uh, I'm just sort of at the beck and call of the world and I'm going to get tossed around. I have to be self-aware. So if I make a choice to eat a pizza at nighttime at 10 o'clock, 
but I will also be aware that in the morning it will affect me and then I will continue. If I make that choice, I should be aware of it. I shouldn't just say, well, this is the way it is and whatever, and then wake up in the morning and you know be unhappy about it. Still in the morning, you're going to have to find that joy and continue with your routine and your practice and everything, even if you have eaten that pizza. So there has to be awareness in everything. And self-study is really about that, is be aware of who you are, why you are, and what you're doing, and why you're doing it. So you can change it if you want to. But if you don't want to change it, at least you know you made the choice. So you, you are empowered in some okay. way. And how do you... Um support people in grappling with that um, tension point um, between, you know, so, uh, sometimes yoga for people can become a path of self-improvement, you know, mm. which from the level of ego is never ending. You know, we mm -hmm. never do enough. Um, we, we never, you know, it's not possible to create a static balance in our life. Um, mm. And so, you know, sometimes people, spirituality becomes a, a new way of um, the ego um, trying to, um, you know, take on the identity mm. of, you know, we're always having to do better, be better, because fundamentally we're not enough. So that's just mm -hmm. backwards as far as yoga mm -hmm. goes. So, you know, with this emphasis on um, routine and practice and self-study, how do you help people not fall into that trap of, you know, spiritual practice for the wrong purpose, you know, mm. terms, you know, becoming spiritual, which we already are. So <laughs> how do you avoid that pitfall? Well, when, when you do your practice, if you are a practitioner and you're doing your practice, you innately know that you are enough. Um, it kind of reverses itself. You come out of the mind, you go more into intuition, and it, through intuition we know, of course, we're already enough because the spirit, the soul is enough because it's the creator of all things. It's the mind that that time quietens down and accepts that everything is fine. When we don't have a spiritual practice, that's when the mind kicks in and says, I must be better, I must do better, I must, you know, I must, I must, I must, and then it's never enough, of course. Mm -hmm. So the idea of grounding and doing practice first is by the time we get to self-study, and then the fourth step uh, here is uh, intention, setting intentions, we know that our intentions are in line with knowing the true self, which is our messages that we get through our intuition and our spirit. And that's why we plug in in the morning to that. So we know uh, we're not going down, like you said, our to-do list and our chores and everything else, and maybe even our job. But we are living in the truth of we are spiritual beings here to do some work. We're not here, these minds and these bodies, just to get stuff done, you know? So that's how I sort of... If I can get somebody to do their spiritual practice, then the rest is done. Mm -hmm. if, if I have somebody who doesn't do their spiritual practice, then we're always on the same thing, which is, yes, you are enough. Um, you might have not done enough, uh, <laughs> but you are enough. Uh -huh. you know? That's it. That's such a beautiful and succinct way to describe um, how important practice really is because it is what transforms the mind 
and um, you know, illumines the mind and has us have a clear sense of fullness of wholeness out of which our uh, intentions um, can arise. So say a little bit more about intention, what you mean uh, about that as, as one of these uh, steps, uh, these universal steps that are critical to living a yogic life. Well, the actions that we take matter because uh, the actions are, you know, it's, it's like talking about drinking water. I'm very thirsty. I've got to drink water and you just keep talking about it. You can alleviate the whole talk if you just drink the water, right? So intentions are the same thing. We have a lot of talk today about setting intentions, but to manifest that intention, you're going to have to take some action. Um, so we can spend all our time talking about it. Uh, in the morning, again, when we do our practice and then we do a little self-study, we now know what our intention should be. If I uh, just skip self-study and I do a little bit of my practice and I'm not really grounded in routine, then what happens is my manifestations and my intentions are always chasing something. So my intention is, well, I intend to you know, um, do my chores today. I intend to finish my work today. I intend to you know, find a, a, a girlfriend or whatever it is, you know, whatever's on my mind. So I'm chasing all these different outward intentions, but I'm not really grounded in any of them to get any of them actually done. When I take the step of having a routine and I'm not unbalanced and I'm grounded and I've done my practice and I've done some self-study and I understand what my spirit wants, now my intentions are in line with my spirit, which is the, my higher self and my intuition. I'm now not so much setting intentions based on my mind, but I'm grounding in, you are here to do some work through this body, so my, my intention is to follow that. And my intention is to accept that. And my intention is, if you give me cancer or if you make me joyful, these sort of both um, extremes, my intention is to accept both of them. Mm. I'm not gonna like it, some mm -hmm. of them, but I'm going to accept them. Mm -hmm. So my intentions become deeper rather than the surface intentions of I'm going to try to get my way. Mm -hmm. So they really become, um, you know, I have I have said uh, in 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 my latest work, I sort of had the inspiration to say that we're here to be the growing edge of love in the world. And it's really about developing the divine qualities within our being, you know, that we're always being nudged to bring them forth. So I, I hear what you're saying about intention in that way so that we, you know, we may feel like, you know, my intention today is to be a presence of compassion or a presence of peace. That's how I would see it rather than, you know, my intention is to, um, you know, finish the project that's due at 10 o'clock. I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, if you have the other part in, in line, that's going to take care of itself. Tell me how this then draws us into purpose, which is your, your next um, uh, step here. If the, the reason we put purpose later is um, purpose really is going to go with my intention and self-study through my practice and grounded in my routine. If I start to try to contemplate my purpose, I'm not gonna get there. I have to be grounded 
to be able to understand what the purpose is in the first place. So another very um, popular thing today is people talk about their purpose. Uh, intention is a big one and then purpose. But purpose is too much of, we can make up a whole bunch of purposes that we have through the mind. Those are endless. Um, but our main purpose for being here is to share love, is to be of service. Uh, those are our main big intention, uh, purposes. But we can't really commit to those if we're not grounded and have the right intentions and know something about ourselves. We're going to be way too distracted with the world and the outer world and our work and our family and everything else. So purpose really comes as step five because we would have had to do some work uh, to be able to contemplate purpose and to be able to be directed in what that purpose is in the first place. I, I completely agree. I, I find that, of course, now we have the word Dharma coming into mm -hmm. our English uh, lexicon and um, sort of true to the nature of the West, you know, Dharma has become something material for people, something equivalent with your job, you mm -hmm. know, like, mm -hmm. you know, this, this job is my Dharma. And um, I say no, you know, I hope that you have work that allows you to express your purpose, your mm. dharma. But a job is not one's dharma. Mm. You know, dharma is, from my perspective, it is that authentic expression of our being. And um, in, in accordance with purpose, it means that, you know, we're living our higher purpose. And, you know, each of us, I think, has particular divine qualities mm -hmm. that are here to be contributed to. You used a beautiful word earlier, the mandala of your life. So there's the great mandala of the whole world. Mm -hmm. And each of us has um, a color or a line that we're contributing to that beauty. And um, that is our purpose. And then, of course, you mentioned that that leads us right into service. You know, I, I have often thought that about yoga, like, no, you know, there are many different uh, yogic paths. You can, you know, you can go the path of jnana yoga, wisdom yoga, bhakti mm. yoga. But as far as I can see, they all end up as karma yoga, <laughs> as service. <laughs> mm, yeah. You know, once I said to my guru, I asked her, I said, you know, I, I don't, maybe the work that I do with Ayurveda and yoga is of service to people. But I'm not particularly feeling that I want to serve people, you know, uh, I don't have to draw to it. And she said, you know, don't worry about that now. Just keep doing the work. It's like another friend of mine, a yogi said, um, you may eat your food, you eat your vegetables and rice and dal and things, and it's a very balanced meal. You may not know the properties of this food. You may not know that it's mixed properly and everything, and you take it at the right time in the right portions, and you just eat it. It's still going to have the same good effect on you. Just, just because you didn't know anything about all of it, this, it doesn't take away from the act that you're doing, which is good. So service is something that I think everybody thinks about, but to truly be in service you know, I went to Afghanistan, taught meditation one time, and and I asked myself, because I saw a lot of people who were there in service, but they were actually there because of themselves. Some of them were running away from their own life. Some of them were, they were all there, you know, a lot of them for their own benefit on this, on another deeper level. Mm -hmm. So I questioned myself and I said, well, why am I here? 
And I sort of came to the conclusion that it was fun to be there and it was something different for me to do. I wasn't actually thinking, oh, I'll go to Afghanistan and I'll help the troops. Uh, it was an idea of service, but it wasn't deeply rooted in service. So it got me thinking about service as something later in this journey because I would have to know something about myself and my intentions and my purpose and everything before I came to actually being of true service to somebody for the benefit of them, uh, not just for my own benefit. You know, that is, uh, of course, so insightful. And um, I, I want to just remind everybody, you know, not to be discouraged by uncovering that in ourselves. It's very common. And um, my husband's guru, um, Haridas Bhava, silent yogi, who he passed this this past year, um, he said in the beginning, you know, in a sense, everybody fakes it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, every there is always this um, piece of selfishness in our um, move towards selflessness. You know, we mm. don't start off being selfless. You know, everybody begins with um, some component of selfishness. So it's not a bad thing. It's uh, and it's helpful, and uh, which is why you have in your uh, code here, you know, self study that we can we can uncover that. So hopefully, you know, we begin to learn more about ourselves in the process. And I, I have felt that these things that we do, you know, like to, however we are serving and, you know, as we look at our motive behind it, it's getting out into the world and working with people and attempting to do what we're here to do. That is the growing edge of our own transformation. Mm. So, um, that's where we, I mean, otherwise, you know, I mean, how would you have seen that? How would you have learned that about yourself? Mm -hmm. if You didn't go to Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah sure. You know, it was a wonderful, um, opportunity. Um, now, of course, you're the the pinnacle, the summit of your mm -hmm. principles here that you offer is is love. Yeah. So <laughs> love is obviously the thing that we all have in common, and we all we're all spirits in a body. That's what we really have in common. But on the outer level, we tend to connect in love with everybody. And that's what we have in common. Um, and it's what everybody's kind of looking for underneath everything else they're looking for is an expression of that love, to share in that love. And if we follow the first six principles, then love naturally will be there. It's not something you have to, uh, it's like you, you said before, everybody is spiritual. You don't have to become um, spiritual. You just have to practice uh, uncovering it. Love is the same thing. We just need to share in it and do all the things in it and uncover it and there it is so we don't uh we don't need to um even discover it i would say or just do the other six steps and then you just experience it in within yourself which then obviously you recognize it in everybody else as well i really liked um what you said in your book that um, 
in order to experience this higher love that we're talking about, um, the mind will need to surrender itself to a greater awareness within. Mm-hmm. And that's really the crux of it. You know, it's like we, we need to change our operating system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All the things that you have mentioned beforehand, of course, are about, in a sense, building a new operating system, mm-hmm. um, a life uh, of capital S, uh, referral, capital S, Mm. self-referral, that that begins to place us on this path of love. But it does mean surrendering that sense of separate self, um, you know, again and again. I I often use Mm. the phrase, you know, let your mind sink into your heart, Mm -hmm. Um, meaning, you know, sink into your um, essence of being. Um, we're just about to close. It's been a great conversation. Mm. I would like to ask you, you know, for any last word of inspiration that you would like to share with our listeners. No, I, I generally tell people, um, you are enough. Uh, just understand what enough means and understand what is the journey that you want to take in life. Because you're going to feel completely different about life when you reach 80, 90, or however long you're going to live. So live it as if you're kind of reaching that that level. Um, Don't take it for granted now that you might be 30, 40, or 50. Live it as if you're older, because the wisdom that you're going to have then, um, you have it already now. You're just not willing to give up some of those things right now that ultimately don't bring you happiness anyway. So if you want joy and you want happiness, well, then make those the main um, sort of priorities in your life and do whatever you can to get there and live that now instead of putting it off till later, you know, and that'll make you a healthy person as well. Mm, That's beautiful. Thanks so much, Yogi Cameron. Uh, It's been a joy to talk Mm -hmm. with you on the Yoga Hour. And I want to remind our listeners um, that we've been drawing from his book, The Yogi Code, Seven Universal Laws of Infinite Success. And um, you can, of course, find his books on Amazon. You can um, go to his uh, website. I'm sorry, would you give your website? Yeah, yogicameron.com. Okay, that's an easy one. Um, You can find out more about my teaching schedule. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.